Welcome to Nothing New Under the Sun. It's a podcast about those competent and careless movie remakes, those franchises that Hollywood just won't let die. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Cruella. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dave, and this here is my co-host, Mike. What's new today, partner? Nothing's new, Dave. Uh, We're finally together to talk about uh, Cruella. Um, We've been having some trouble getting together to record episodes uh, lately, and we we are very sorry for that. Um, it's a busy summer you know the whole world is open again you know it was easy back in the pandemic it was very easy back in the pandemic uh but now that me and you are back to uh having to go out into the um the real world instead of staying in our apartments like hermits that's right gainfully Um, employed things to do people to see we've we've had a little trouble lining up our schedule so uh so what we're gonna do today is uh we we have both watched the new film cruella uh that was released recently on disney plus only 29.99 with your premium subscription correct um how do you how do you feel about the the premium uh subscription sales it's fucking bullshit i mean (laughs) it's fair they can do whatever they want with their money (laughs) they can do whatever they want with their streaming service right who am i to say that it's fucking bullshit unfortunately because we do this podcast and have uh, committed to this that we have to pay for (laughs) for the thing there is no just waiting Uh, there is no amount of patreon subscriptions that will pay for the 60 dollars you and i spent for (laughs) for these movies (laughs) um they they seem like they're here to stay for now at least uh we'll see if uh disney ever gets off the 100 percent of the profits go straight to us train but um we we both watched that movie and we we decided to give you an episode about it but we're not going to just release a conversation about uh cruella that would no no that would be stupid so um, we've, we we've decided that, that we, we've decided that what we're going to do is we're going to have the entire conversation that we had a year ago about 100 Dalmati- one Dalmatians uh, word for word again, and then we will um, we will talk about Cruella afterward. So we're going to do our best to just repeat that conversation absolutely verbatim. Yep, just just word for word exactly what we did. Um, I, I think it started with something like. So 101 Dalmatians, uh, released in 1961, is based on a short children's book, um, very similar to Jumanji, where it was just this little kid's mostly picture book um, that the studio bought the rights to. The uh, Disney, Walt Disney bought the rights to this book immediately after reading it, which it seems like he did with a lot of things. He also did that with Mary Poppins, and he did that with um, quite a number of other books. I wonder if he actually even read them, or if he just flipped through it while someone just described it to him, and he's like, perfect, buy the rights! <laughs> <laughs> get it, get it. Get the Sherman Brothers to write me some songs! That's right. He has uh, he has people coming into his office, and they're like, here's another book, it's about some dogs. And he's like, get it! <laughs> <laughs> perfect, I love dogs! <laughs> so, The 101 Dalmatians, or The 101 Dalmatians, uh-huh. um, is, the, is the name of the children's book. Um, it's about two Dalmatians named Pongo and Mrs. Pongo. Oh my God. Really? And, um, it was based (laughs) on, um, a lot of the, uh, experiences that the writer Dodie Smith had with her actual live, um, Dalmatians. Um, the scene in the movie where the, um, where Lucky is born and he's, um, he's not alive and they have to rub him and bring him back to life or whatever. Sure. That actually was something that Dodie Smith, the writer of this book, had to do for real with one of her puppies when her 
um, Dalmatians had puppies. Her Dalmatians, she, Dodie Smith did not end up with 101 Dalmatians, um, but Dodie Smith did have 15, have two Dalmatians that had 15 puppies. Um, and she actually sold almost all of them. She didn't really keep any of them. Oh, wow. But she wrote this book, which Disney bought the rights to, um, and they made a lot of changes to the book because it was just a small children's book. Um, they added the character, they added the actual name for Perdita. Right. <laughs> they, um, they gave um, Roger and Anita different jobs. Um, they changed their names. They were Mr. and Mrs. Dearly in the book. In the um, 1961 movie, it is changed to something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, just a small fun fact, um, Disney uh, asked Dodie Smith to write more books based on um, these Dalmatians that they could possibly turn into other movies. And Dodie Smith wrote a sequel to 101 Dalmatians. Um, what do you think the plot of the sequel to 101 Dalmatians is? Um, Lucky the Dalmatian becomes the president of the United States. No, close. It's um, all 101 Dalmatians go to space. Oh. Whoa! Space adventure. Dogs in space. <laughs> um, just a... Just a uh, Dalspatians. <laughs> just a little aside from me. Disney make that movie. <laughs> I, want, I want. Yeah, definitely. Wait, what, how could they not have remade it? They um or made it. How could they not have Disney made it? Disney immediately uh, declined to make um, the sequel to 101 Dalmatians, where all the Dalmatians go to space. But uh, I think that is a huge mistake. I want that movie. I want. To, I want oh, it would be adorable. All their little spacesuits, all the little like dome uh, helmets. Oh, oh man, it would definitely it would do be it. So good. I'm sure there's some terrible movie that's exactly that. (laughs) When Disney um, got the rights to make this movie and they started in pre-production into this, this uh, animation studio actually was doing really bad, while the live-action studio was doing great. This was um, the 1950s. uh, You saw the release of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You saw the release of a couple other really, really successful um, live-action Disney movies, but the animated movies, Alice in Wonderland, um, Sleeping Beauty... Uh, uh, the Lady and the Tramp, though we consider those to be classic Disney movies today, and nobody would think of those as terrible flops. They actually lost the studio a ton of money. Wow. And people, these movies were not successful when they were released, um, to the point where the animation studio was going bankrupt and they considered uh, closing it down entirely. Wow, that's crazy. Because, I mean, I guess when you think about it, man, the Disney animation studio started super early. Like, Snow White came out in the 30s, right? Right. So, this, um, Disney has been around Disney studio animation studio has been around for a very long time and it has had its highs and its lows and now with hindsight we look back at all these amazing animated movies um with rose tinted glasses and we're all like we of course we love alice in wonderland and of course we love lady and the tramp those movies were um, are, were classic pieces of animated film but at the time when uh, Alice in Wonderland was released, people found the protagonist to be annoying and whiny, and they <laughs> thought Sleeping Beauty was boring. So people didn't really go and see these movies. Um, that was the one biggest critique of Alice in Wonderland I could find, is that everyone was just like, why is she crying the whole time? And it's something I hadn't even considered. I'm like, she is crying the whole time. That is kind of weird. <laughs> so to cut costs, the studio was forced to reduce its staff of inkers down from... Uh, from 500 inkers to less than 10, or less than 100. Oh, okay. And not less than 10. 
That would be very low. I'm sorry. <laughs> one dude doing <laughs> the whole one thing. one dude. He's making the whole movie as someone whips him in the corner. Right. Walt Disney's, draw faster! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a less than 100. So from 500 to less than 100. Um, I don't know how uh, much you know about how traditional animation is typically done. Nothing. Um, but to to update you and our, our listeners... Uh, animation up until this point the way that it was done was you would have a team of artists who would draw the characters individually they would kind of just sketch them out there wouldn't be any coloring or anything done it's just a sketch on a piece of paper right you then give it over it's kind of like how a comic book is made where you give it over to the ink and paint artists from there Uh and the ink and paint artist would take a piece of celluloid and essentially trace that sketch with the ink onto the celluloid sure and then paint the back of the celluloid um to have the characters colors and dimensions and everything and that one piece of celluloid would have a color a character you not, sometimes not even their whole character as we talked about during um the Hanna barbera episode yeah where, where the head is would, different right they would use the same celluloid for the body but they would have the different ones for the head to switch them out yeah um so you have individual numerous individual ink and paint artists doing each of those individual celluloids that they can then stack on top of each other to create one frame of film. Wow. So it is a... Holy crap. Yeah, so it is a very time-consuming um, and and uh, process that requires lots and lots of people to get this done. Um, the studio's going bankrupt. They had to fire all of their anchors. Um, they are looking for ways to save money moving forward, and they have just started making 101 Dalmatians. So... There is this brand new technology that has just come out um, called Xerox. <laughs> Xerox. Xerox is a uh, is a copier, and um, to save time and money, they would have someone sketch um, the drawing out of a character, and then they would Xerox it onto the um, onto the celluloid, eliminating the need for print artists. Wow. Um, so no one is inking the celluloids anymore. They are just Xeroxing the the sketches of them onto the celluloid, which um, saves the studio a ton of money. May be considered um, like a lazy process, but it was the only way they were able to get this movie done. Um, they tested it out in first with this short called Goliath 2 in 1960. Have you ever heard of Goliath 2? No. Goliath 2 is about a six-inch tall elephant. Um, he is the son of the huge giant Goliath, but then he is born and he is a six-inch tall element. Aww. He's a terrible disappointment to his father and his mother. I know about that. <laughs> his, he is a constant disappointment to his parents for being so fucking tiny, and he has to make friends with a mouse and a snail and whatever. Um, I haven't seen this in a long time. I don't remember much about it. But that was their test of the Xerox animation process that they move forward uh, with this movie. So they make this with the xerox and that's what gives this movie its um patented look i thought when i first watched this and before looking into this i the first thing i made note of is how um unique the animation style in this looks how kind of raw and scratchy it is you can still see all the sketch lines kind of through the characters yeah um and it kind of added to the um what i will call the jazzy feel of this film yeah, um, I agree. The number one word that came to my mind while watching this movie was jazzy. Yeah, um, I have I have written down it. It was a very cool and mature kind of like watercolory, melancholy animation style. 
very interesting type, you know, compared to traditional Disney animation. Right. So to burst your bubble, that was not a creative choice that was made. That was a cost-saving measure. Well, what <laughs> it, it worked out. I mean, fucking good for them because it looks it looks great. It has such a unique-looking style. It looks great. And this is the way that Disney would make um, the majority of their movies throughout the 1960s from there on. With the, I think the only one they didn't do this for was The Jungle Book in 1967. Right. Um, and then they return to traditional animation style with The Rescuers in 1977. Oh, so personal majority, favorite. Yeah, The Rescuers is great. But the majority of the movies that they released during that time are all done with this Xerox process that gives them that scratchy look. Right, cool. Um, this movie is a huge success. It makes a ton of money. Um, it was the highest grossing film of 1961. And it made over $28 million for the time. Wow. Um, it was made on just a $4 million budget. That's an estimation. Um, and a total gross in the U.S. of $144 million um, over time. Jesus. So this is a huge success for the studio. This is what allowed them to bankroll all of their movies through the 60s and 70s. And also a crazy merchandising success, right? Like, I just it, can imagine how much Dalmatian stuff they probably sold. Initially, it is not a crazy merchandising success, but we will we will get to that. They did not make a ton of merchandise for this film, but when it is re-released in the 1990s, they make a ton of merchandise that sells like crazy, which, which is what causes them to make the live-action film. But speaking of this film, how did you feel about uh, the animated 101 Dalmatians? I actually really liked it, you know. Um, I think I remember as a kid thinking it was a little dull, uh, but now as an adult, uh, it strikes me kind of as like a fairly adult film, you know. Uh, Roger, the protagonist, right, is kind of like this bitter, sarcastic, curmudgeon guy, uh, not like a, a princely hero like Disney, you know, men typically are, right? Uh, I think it resonated with me more as an adult than it would have as a kid. I mean, I think I remember as a kid liking that there were a bunch of dogs and stuff, but, you know, I thought it was great. I really liked it. I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I thought this was going to be kind of boring going back to watching uh, another like kids movie after doing dr doolittle yeah i really wanted to return to doing something more adult um but i thoroughly enjoyed watching um the original animated movie for this what's interesting too is is there's like no real memorable music other than the little cruella Deville jingle you know usually what makes disney movies so memorable is their bombastic uh you know song and dance numbers and you know right. there's just a little jingle for cruella so this is also one of the first Disney movies um, that was not a musical. Um, they, they didn't have uh, characters cut into song every couple minutes. It's also the first Disney movie um, to be set in a contemporary time period for when, it's, um, for when it comes out. It's set in the 1960s. Um, oh, in cool. London. So all the movies beforehand had been set sometime in the past. Um, obviously, like Sleeping Beauty comes out in 1930s, but it looks like it's from like the 16 or 1700s, right? Right, right. Um, the uh, dogs were all uh, voiced by Clarence Nash, who does the voice of Donald Duck. Um, and interestingly, and, they they have voices, right? Because in the remake, they don't they don't talk at all. Right, and the filmmakers deliberately cast um, the dogs with deeper voices than their human um, actors, so that the dogs had more power in the relationship between their human owners and them. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting dynamic they keep going with, right? Like Pongo, as the narrator, calls Roger his pet. 
you know, right. or, or they say, um, I think they say about Anita, they're like, oh, at times she seems almost canine. Like, you know, you would say like, oh, this dog seems almost human, right? Right. And the and the humans have very little agency <laughs> in the story. Yeah. Um, everything is kind of pushed along by the dogs. Even the, the two human characters meeting and beginning their relationship is initiated because Pongo sees Anita walking down the street. And decides that he has to get a mate for his human. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it definitely a, a very cute sort of inversion of what you would expect. Uh, I have a question. How the fuck can Roger and Anita afford a nanny? He's like a failed <laughs> musician, and I she's like an artist. Know. There is a lot of details missing there um, of, of how they got any money whatsoever. I don't. I don't even. Is, do they even say that Anita is an artist? I don't remember her doing anything other than sitting on the couch and like humming the tunes as Roger sings them. Yeah, she, <laughs> he he's a failed musician and she's a stay-at-home mom or something, you know, and like <laughs> and a stay-at-home dog mom, and then they can they pay a nanny to to clean up after them. I. I had the exact same question when I was watching this movie. Um, I was wondering how they afforded their fancy um, uh, apartment in London in the first place. <laughs> They're both independently wealthy. We can't feel bad for Roger and Edith. They must be both be. <laughs> they have trust funds. They're millionaires already. Um, Corella Deville is um, Anita's friend from college. I yeah. guess she was like her college roommate in this. Uh-huh. Um, she is the fucking biggest bitch ever oh i know as soon as you meet her like great villain all-time villain immediately hateable um she's just the worst as like as soon as she arrives on screen she is a nightmare for everyone who she comes into contact with no one seems to like her i don't even know why anita is keeping up with her at this point like why do you still talk to this person we live in a world with like social media and I don't still keep up with those people. <laughs> like, like, Anyone who is that toxic in my past, I'm just like, yeah, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. In, in, you in the sixties, you would have to invite that lady over your house to stay current with her. Right. You have to re- go out of your way to reach out to that person who keeps looking at your dogs and licking their lips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's interesting too, about her being such a villain is that she's like the only one who smokes in the whole movie, right? Like, I mean, Roger has his pipe or Correct. whatever, and this right? Is one of, that's another thing, that this is one of the very few Disney movies with any characters who uh, smoke tobacco. That yeah. is not a common thing, even during this time period where everyone was smoking tobacco. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like they make it like a villainous behavior, whereas everyone who would go to see this movie, who would bring their kids to see it, they probably all smoke. Walt Disney himself famously smoked. He died of lung cancer. He was a he was constantly smoking, but he made sure, even he knew at the time, he made sure to never be seen on camera with a cigarette. Um, he did not want his image to be that of a tobacco user. He knew huh. that that would um, har- harm his in- image as like everyone's wholesome like uncle or whatever yeah, Walt right. Disney was trying to portray. Uh, I liked the sort of like variety of animals that they portray in the movie. There's definitely all the different breeds of dogs that kind of reflect their humans, right? Like they show like the when when Pongo's picking out the mate for Roger in the beginning. They're like, oh, that's an interesting breed. And they're talking about the dog and, you know, the woman walking the dog. Uh, but then they also later on, they have the cats and they have the horse and they have all this sort of different varieties of landscapes, but also super good animations of the way that these different animals move. Like it's definitely more than just Dalmatians in the movie. I didn't remember that there were so many different other animals in it too. Right. And I think I wrote in my notes here that the Twilight Bark scene was one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie where Definitely. all the dogs are barking and they're like sending the message out and you get to see each of them receive and then try and send that message back out. And they have, some of them are like on one side of their apartment and like in that window and they have to run to the other side of the apartment. One of them's on a boat or something. 
Um, and then when you finally get to the barn where the horse and the cat and the uh, the sergeant dog are, yeah, I, I just I loved that whole scene. I thought that was so cool. It was great. I read a, a, a little quip online somewhere that said that the Disney Animation Studio ad- adopted the Twilight Bark as the name of their internal newsletter. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of cute. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Horace and Jasper, they are our classic um, he- despicable henchmen. They just fumble their way through everything with uh, Horace obviously being the the more sensible one and Jasper just being the bumbling idiot. Horace and Jasper are also great names for henchmen. In like I use I use Horace or Jasper or both as the name of henchmen in like a lot like, you know, we do D and D. Like uh Horace and Jasper are are like my <laughs> typical henchmen names in D and D. They're just so despicable and unlikable and the they're they are perfect henchmen for this awful lady um, in the way that, like, it makes sense that they would be working together, but they don't seem like they are more powerful than her in any of the situations where they're all together. Right. And that's important, right? Because she has to be uh, charismatically sort of controlling. Like, that's her character. Right. She's the alpha. Um, I also didn't realize that this was a Christmas movie. I don't know if you picked up on that. This movie's taking place during Christmas time, especially at the end. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't think about that until just now, but you're right. And they're, uh, they're tromping through the snow and stuff. Yeah. So we'll add this to the list of uh, Christmas movies you don't normally think of. We'll add this to, to Rocky 3 and <laughs> Iron Man 3. Die And hard. all of Shane Black's films. And <laughs> Die Hard. Uh, and the, <laughs> end, the end of Jumanji. We were talking about being a Christmas movie, <laughs> The end too. of Jumanji. We should make a list of all the movies that are surprise Christmas movies. Just like, right. surprise, it's Christmas! <laughs> uh, I, I, what other scenes that I really like? I really like the scene where they all had to, um, they had to dress up like Labradors. They had to, like, roll around in the soot to oh, try great. and get Yeah, through. I totally forgot about that, too, and that was awesome. Get past the car. There's so much tension in all of those scenes where it's, it seemed, it's so... The, what the movie's so great at is they take these scenes that w- you would think theoretically have very little stakes because the main characters are dogs and they're trying to get caught by this crazy lady and the, you wouldn't think that it, these ten- these scenes would carry as much tension as uh, as uh, like World War Two movie right yeah where like it was almost like Saving Private Ryan exactly where they have to get past exactly the, the comparison I was thinking of in those scenes yeah where they have to get past the enemy combatants and everything and they have to try and get to the um to the other side to the other trench or whatever. But this movie holds that tension really uh, close. There's no music in that scene as much as, or there's very little music in that scene from what I remember. It's all just the sounds of Carell's car going up and down the street. The, her face as she looks through the window is so creepy. It's like I know. so terrifying. And um, and then the, the car chase scene afterwards where Cruella is in um The car chase her, scene is crazy. W- when the, the hood comes off her car and the flames are coming out and her face is all crazy. <laughs> and she's trying to run the truck off the road. I, I remember, like I had a visceral reaction to that when I was watching it, the, you it know, the last week because I remember being a kid being scared of that scene. That. The car chase scene at the end is great. The tension that they hold from this movie is just... It, they do such a good job of making you care about what, again, seems like very little stakes. Just how do we get these dogs home? Right. Agreed. Um, yeah. I, when we started the movie, I was thinking that. I'm like, wow, there really is kind of a low stakes situation happening here. But then by the end, you really are, are super rooting for the dogs. Right. Um, then how did you feel about... Uh, 
their decision at the end to keep 101 Dalmatians in their tiny house while right off their salary of writing that one song that one time. Yeah, I thought that at the end, they, they, <laughs> they don't cover that very much at all. And that's almost like a sort of form of animal abuse, right? Like they're like, oh, they're like, we're so grateful. We're going to keep all these dogs. And it's like, no, you don't, you're living like a studio apartment. Like this is this is horrible. You're living in a studio apartment. You're, uh, I, I guess, now not a failed musician because you wrote one song about that lady that your wife went to yeah, college it become, with. It, it becomes a hit. Yeah, it's on How the radio. How do you get stuff. away with that too? Like, if you if you wrote um, if you Dave you you one day decided to write a song about what a bitch your uh, wife's friend from college was, do you think that would go over <laughs> well in your household? Not great, no. Uh, <laughs> but to be fair, they do say that they're gonna buy a farm and it's gonna be the Dalmatian plantation, et cetera, et cetera. So they have a plan, but I just doesn't seem like the cops should just turn over a, a triple digit amount of dogs to live in there small apartment yeah. <laughs> do you think this song um will have a dalmatian plantation will end up being as big a hit as the uh the Cruella deville song probably not you know i'm just thinking no. <laughs> uh, i was surprised to find that this movie got a 98 on rotten tomatoes it killed yeah. with reviews this movie is very high regarded um just if i could if i could just muse one more time about it i just wonder if anybody is like listening to the radio who knows Cruella and like that song comes on and like yeah I, I hate that girl too that girl sucks yeah what does Cruella <laughs> think like when she hears the song on the radio she's like what the fuck bro <laughs> uh, but she's still out there I mean like that's that was another thing that came to mind um when they uh, they have that giant epic car chase and all the cars crash into each other and then at the end it's not that they like most movies most Disney movies the villain falls off a cliff and dies right that's right. like that's the stereotype. Yep. You can, like you can go point to almost every Disney movie, and it ends with the villain falling off a cliff and dying. Uh, right. If you've never noticed this, listener, please just think of a Disney movie right now, and I almost guarantee that it ends with the villain falling off a cliff and dying. They're all they're not all the Little Mermaid where the villain gets literally run through. Yeah, and stabbed. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, the Little Mermaid like, is particularly gruesome, but they definitely need to find a, it's a so way violent. to <laughs> to permanently dispatch the villain without showing their actual murder on screen. Right. So, but in this one, like, all the cars crash in this horrific car accident where I assume that we would just cut away and assume they're dead from there. But no, you have the three of, you have Cruella being like, you idiots afterwards. So she's still out there. Like, this, yeah, this right. Dog exactly. Kidnapper, and, and this dog so, kidnapper who, um, the, the, who Anita, uh, <laughs> and, and um, oh, I've already forgotten Roger. his name. Roger. Anita and Roger, thank you. They don't know that she kidnapped the dogs, right? Like, they, they have assumptions that, like, somebody did but all they know is that these two guys broke in and kidnapped all their dogs cruella could just show up tomorrow and be like oh your dogs are back and you have 101 of them that's so crazy <laughs> what a coincidence oh, man like oh it's so great that you now have all of these dogs <laughs> they definitely set up for a sequel in a good way you know cruella is still out there they have the plan to have this dalmatian plantation right and now they have to react to having like roger and anita have to react to having 101 dogs so they do set up a sequel in a fair way it's not a cheesy way now do you think that cruella follows the dogs into space or do you think that she like stows away on their spacecraft how do you see the sequel going i'm picturing cruella has like an elon musk style her own space operation you know where she launches her car into space like uh like the tesla she hears the dogs are in space first and yep. then decides to pursue space exploration She's that's right. not that she hears the dogs are going to space and tries to hitch a ride with them no she needs to have her own cruella enterprises uh space space force where she goes up and she has to 
you know, it, it, I'm picturing like a laser showdown, you know, and <laughs> they throw her into the sun at the end. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I Disney, make this movie, please. Um, so 101 Dalmatians, it's a huge hit. It's an instant classic. It makes the studio a ton of money. It revamps um, their animation studio and allows them to continue making films for the foreseeable future. Um, about 30 years go by, and in 1991, they decide to re-release this movie. Um, and uh, in 1991, the 1991 re-release is the 20th highest grossing film of that year. So there are uh, just a ton of films that this movie that was released 30 years later just blew out of the water um it is a huge success disney makes um a ton of money on merchandising they have little toys um they have uh they may have a deal with um with mcdonald's where they have the mcdonald's happy meal toys but they have other toys as well that are in stores and the success of this film inspires them to make a live action remake with um glenn close all right um everybody follow us on instagram at nuts.show that's n-n-u-t-s dot show uh that is the same thing as our website url uh it is www.nnuts.show for some reason for the url you have to type the www dot i don't know why mysteries of the world it's because you messed up well, probably <laughs> i mean that's that's a that, that's a good a good explanation for many things <laughs> Uh, follow us on Patreon at Nothing New Under the Sun on Patreon, where we um, try our hardest to come out with Patreon exclusive content, such as episodes, polls, um, and in different engagement with uh, with our followers on there. Um, if you like this podcast that we um, put out for you, well, w- when we can, <laughs> please please sign up at uh, Patreon. It's the best way to support us. Because you know what you do when you can't record original content, you just cheat. And you re-release old content that you recorded a year ago. <laughs> you 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 have the conversation over verbatim, word for word, is what you do. So you could also go to nuts.money, N-N-U-T-S dot money. Uh, and on, on our Patreon, you can listen to uh, an episode that we just recorded, a Patreon-specific episode about everyone's fourth favorite kaiju monster from the Showa era, Rodan. Was it any good? Go to Patreon to find out. Tell your friends and family <laughs> about the show. That would be awesome. Uh, leave us a review on your podcast app. Uh, it's wedding season. If you sit down next to somebody at a wedding, you've never met them before. You'll never see them again. Just kind of grab them and be like, listen to nothing new under the sun and grab their phone and pl- program it into their podcasts. Yeah, be really aggressive about it. Yeah, this is not a joke. Mike has done this before at a wedding. Never. I, ne- I never have. Not the much. links are in the episode description, <laughs> as always. So they um, initially want Glenn Close for the role of uh, Cruella. Um, Glenn Close, unfortunately, has some scheduling conflicts with the stage musical she's doing at the time called Sunset Boulevard. So the producers instead hire Sigourney Weaver. Um, Sigourney Weaver was moving forward uh, with it, but eventually she drops out. And by the time she drops out, Glenn Close is um, free to actually take on the role. So she steps back in. Um, Glenn Close felt that the writer, John Hughes, uh, wrote Cruella as a really soft villain. She didn't feel that um, Cruella was uh, bitchy or funny enough. That was that was those are her words. Huh. Um, and she actually w- rewatched the original movie and lifted some of the dialogue points from the movie that Disney felt were um, 
were too problematic for the time. Like all the all the parts where um, Cruella is threatening to bludgeon and drown the dogs, and she's just like vi- talking about like violently murdering these dogs. Right. Disney felt that those those lines were not politically correct uh, correct for 1996. That we can't have people talking about murdering dogs. But Glenn Close was like, no, 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 I'm the villain of this movie. Yeah, I mean, look, she's Cruella, so she's got to be, yeah, she's got to be scary. Yeah, it's Cruella. It's and me she... versus dogs. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, what, is she, what, do you, what do you think I want to do? <laughs> how, do, how do you think I'm going to make this fur coat? Um, Glenn Close uh, demanded, though Glenn Close is playing Cruella DeVille, she did demand that all of the fur in the movie is fake fur. She did not want to actually wear fur coats or have real actual fur coats made for the film. That's great. And apparently, I, she is also um, allergic to tobacco, so she huh. smoked herbal cigarettes throughout the whole film, so that she was still smoking, but she couldn't actually smoke tobacco. That, I mean, well, look, that's just a testament to how good she is, right? If she does, she wants to wear fake fur, and she can't really smoke, and then she still makes uh, the totally inspired uh, portrayal of Cruella Deville. I mean, she's great as Cruella Deville. Right. So, there of the original fifteen dogs that are born in the uh, the animated movie. Um, only half of them are named. Um, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but there's Lucky, there's Rolly, um, Patch. There's Patch. In this movie, they got to name the additional six. Um, with this movie, they went with the names Jewel, Dipstick, Fidget, Two Tone, and Wizard. How do you feel the uh, the new names <laughs> match up to the old names? Uh, not as good. It strikes me that they are purely merchandising decisions, probably, because they want to be able to have people collect them all, you know? And you can't be like, oh, collect Patch and Rolly and Lucky and the other 12, you know? <laughs> they have to be like, right. you need Wizard. You need, oh, you don't have Dipstick yet? I know you have Patch and Rolly that are named um, after their physical traits. Right. But to name one Dipstick because it has like black on its tail or name one two-tone it's a dalmatian they're all two-tone <laughs> like, what are you talking about um and then of course wizard because he pees on things i'm sure they were like oh well, that's a toy we could have a toy dog that pees on things yeah it, it strikes me <laughs> as a transparent merchandising decision i don't i think it was just laziness <laughs> i think they were just like i think they were just like wait you only named half of the 15 dogs well crap uh all right uh two-tone i don't know <laughs> One of the things I liked um, to really establish Cruella as a total monster is the whole thing with the Siberian tiger that gets kidnapped. And then they have the right. Skinner guy, the taxidermist. And that was like, oh, okay, this lady is a real-life supervillain. Okay, so we, I think we both agree that uh, Glenn Close really stepped into the character of Cruella here, right? She really embodied that original character. But outside of um, Glenn Close's performance, how did you feel about this movie? Uh, it wasn't the best. I mean, I, I still thought it was gr- it was great because Cruella de Vil is in it, right? But it wasn't that good. I mean, they, I think they sort of not like 90s it a little bit too much. Like Jeff Daniels is a video game designer now. Hated right? it. <laughs> and But, you know, uh, it was a little kind of a cute callback that Cruella sort of again inspires his first big hit uh, the same way that, you know, he does for Roger uh, or she does for Roger in... Um, the original movie as being uh, the subject of his uh, his his big big success, right? So that's kind of right. I hated this movie. I thought it was. I thought it did everything worse <laughs> outside <laughs> of Glenn Close playing the character so well. Um, and then Hugh Laurie as Jasper. Hugh Laurie, Hugh Laurie as Jasper is also awesome. Amazing. I want to give a shout out to Hugh Laurie. He really pulled the whole movie together. 
but all the changes they made, the opening credits, the the as you said, they 90s-ified the opening credits. The opening credits in the original were some of the best opening credits of any Disney movie I ever watched. Yeah, yep, the they're great. The opening credits in this one were garbage. Um, the change to make the video ga- make him a video game designer was pandering and dumb. Um, I don't understand why he can't just still be a musician. There are still musicians in the early 2000s. I don't know, right. Dave, did you know that there are people still making music in the early 2000s? I don't know about that. I mean, I want to see some evidence. Just video they're all video designers. game designers, only, I think, at this point. Only video game designers. I read that um, Hugh Grant was offered the role of Roger, and he would have been perfect. He, like, Hugh yes. Grant, like, the, looking back at the 60s Roger, he is Hugh Grant. He's the perfect yes. casting. I can't believe they went with Jeff Daniels. I mean, Jeff Daniels seems like a nice guy, but Hugh Grant would have been I would. I would kiss. like to say that Jeff Daniels also did a good job. Um, in the one scene where him and Anita meet, and Pongo just dragged him through the park, um, and Jeff Daniels has to do all that physical comedy, and then he's trying to he's like trying to steal that dog, or he, he's what he's what he thinks is his dog, and Anita runs up and is like, "You're taking my dog," and he's like, "I don't have time for this, lady." Jeff Daniels, <laughs> Jeff Daniels is perfect in that scene. Um, the scene immediately after that, where they um, go back to Jeff Daniels' house for the first time, and they j- literally just met. I don't know. Yeah, right. I know. Two yeah, hours that, that, ago, that wouldn't, yeah, and that he wouldn't proposes really marriage, and she says yes. I know. Yeah, <laughs> a little was, silly. That was completely ridiculous. That is a huge, ladies. If you just met um, some guy who was trying to steal your dog in the park, and immediately he proposes marriage to you, that's a red flag. Just yeah. want to put that out there. <laughs> you might want to turn and run. <laughs> I I did like how um, Cruella has a little bit more of sort of like a motivation. Um, to be involved with Anita uh, as this domineering character because she's her boss and she's a fashion designer. So she wants the right. dogs for her and fashion as, company. And as her boss, Anita has to put it up with her. All the exactly. things we were saying before, of why would you keep talking to this terrible exactly. woman? Uh, it makes a lot more sense. Um, her uh, passion for fur makes a, mu- a lot more sense that she's a fashion designer who works with fur. She's looking for the next new thing, and then that's how like the Dalmatians come. She's not just some lady. What is? What do you think Cruella's job is in the original film? Yeah, I don't know. What and that, she, what that's does she what do to get her fancy car and all of her coats? Yeah, I have no idea. And that's what makes it so crazy is that like we have no idea what like any of them do except for Roger, and he's totally poor. So like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Do you, how did Roger afford his fancy? Again, how did he afford his fancy London apartment in this one? As a video game designer who has yet to ever make a video game. Yeah, I know. A video game designer, in, tw- in even in 2020, you know, you're not going to be able to afford a, a fancy London apartment if you've never made anything good yet. No, you're essentially homeless as a video game designer in right. 2020. I know. <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't make money. No one pays you for that. That's like a passion project that you have to work forever to put out your thing that nobody will ever give you money for. The sort of like visuals and costuming are pretty good. Like it kind of was like a, I, the thing that I have written down is that it reminded me of a cross between Goodwill Hunting and Harry Potter. It's like Jeff Daniels kind of looks like he's doing like Goodwill Hunting, like um, tweed suit thing. And then they've got the Harry Potter style uh, Cruella de Vil headquarters. You know, it reminded me of something like they're going to like Gringotts Bank when they show up to her uh, to her place. You've got Anita still, who is kind of a strong businesswoman with her eccentric husband. So that was kind of good, I guess. But overall, it was kind of a lame remake that you took away all of the characters in this movie because all the characters were the dogs but you're not gonna have the dogs talk right dogs don't talk so you get rid of everything that made the original movie great and then you can't have the really we talked about how suspenseful the scenes were and how it was like a war movie where they were like trying to like sneak the dogs from town to town they had to 
cover them in soot so they looked like Labradors, and they and the scene where the 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 snow is dripping on them and it's leaving the white spots on the black and like they're slowly being revealed for what they really are. Like those scenes are so suspenseful and cool and, and artistic and unique. And you have nothing like that in this movie. Yeah. You just have dogs running around, which I guess a a little too neatly wrapped up for sure. Like we've, we talked about in Dr. Doolittle, how million dollar mutts is a movie. So I'm sure there are, is a whole, and I, we know for a fact, like this has been going on forever with air bud and whatever, uh, whatever dogs doing, whatever else like it's just little kids will pay to see a movie where dogs do silly things or just watch dogs do whatever but i you you lost so much in the in the change from animation to live action for me that i was completely uninvolved and thank god for hugh laurie because otherwise hugh laurie was great uh except for when they're sort of doing like the kind of like home alone style antics you know it felt a little derivative. I felt like, ah, oh, come on, like we've seen this before, and it's not even being done that well, right? No, it definitely felt like too much um, when they were doing all the physical slapstick comedy. He, they um, they land on like the electrified barbed wire, and he they like do the close up of his like crossed eyes. It's like, right? Um, who who directed this film? I forget who. Uh, um, Stephen Herrick. In every movie that, um, oh no, John Hughes. I'm sorry, John Hughes, the screenwriter. In every movie that John Hughes has ever written or directed. Uh, somebody has gotten electrocuted. Like, think um, Home Alone. Like, he's the Home Alone guy. Oh, it um, was. So this is... It is the same guy. Yes, it is oh, the okay. same guy. It is oh, the home... well, that John makes perfect Hughes sense. Directed then. Home Alone. Um, let me just. We're gonna we're gonna double check that real quick. So I'm just not lying about that. Yes, he did Home Alone. He did Home Alone. He did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He did Uncle Buck. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink. This wow. is weird yeah, science. Sure. This is this is that guy. Yeah, this is got John it. Hughes. Well, it makes sense that Classic that's what I, I picked up on it because I was like, this is just Home Alone with dogs now. <laughs> it literally is Home Alone with dogs. <laughs> um, and uh, and then the way Cruella gets her comeuppance in the in the barn where she's like, it's just the slapstick with all the animals and they push her in the manure or whatever yeah, that yep, was. Yep. Uh, that was fine. <laughs> I hated all that stuff. Um, so there's, there's, I did not, I did not like this movie. It wasn't, um as like insulting to me as some of the movies that we've watched like i wasn't like i didn't feel like the movie was like trying to harm me right it, yeah <laughs> so, it wasn't it wasn't straight up dog shit it was just not not that good i did not feel as passionately about this film as i did uh the dr doolittle if we could bring dr doolittle right, up again right where at some points i felt like that movie was like making aggressive moves towards me <laughs> um, yeah this is the film it wasn't was not, actively uh, cruel. Me in any it, way. Yeah. Right. It was not actively cruel. Yeah. They I liked how at the end of this movie they do sort of attempt to explain with the police officers that they're gonna be keeping the dogs in the house and stuff. And the the cop is like, Are you gonna keep them? And they're like, Yeah, we are and they kind of are like, Okay, give them the so dogs. When, when we were watching the film, uh, me and the other nearly 30 year old men that I got convinced to sit down and watch Glenn Close's 101 <laughs> Dalmatians tough sell. with me um, when we were watching the film and that scene happened and they're like what are we gonna do with 101 Dalmatians and uh, Jeff Daniels is just like we'll keep them we all burst into laughter like right. it is the most hilarious thing where are you gonna keep these dogs you you failing video game artist <laughs> you, like, you, like, I don't know how much Anita is being made to like do fashion drawings like, I don't know how much she's making, how much she's being paid, but um, I can't imagine it's enough 
for you to house 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> and the new house that they have at the end, which I, I guess there it is implied that that video game sold so well that they paid the artist behind the video game enough to buy a giant, like, mansion yeah. with, a, with a, a million acres. Um, right. But that, but that is... Uh, that was <laughs> extremely ridiculous, and we were just laughing throughout the whole end scene there, where it's just like all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, we'll keep all these dogs. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah, what they didn't, that, one of the deleted scenes is um, they show that Jeff Daniels converts the art to Halo. They actually make Halo one, <laughs> so that's why it sold so well. Got it. <laughs> so. This was this was Home Alone with um, dogs instead of Macaulay Culkin's, and it got it got a horrific it got killed on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it has a like a forty percent or something. Yeah, nobody liked this film. Uh, I didn't like this film. Um, I just want to pitch it out there: if you remade this film but replaced all the dogs with little Macaulay Culkin's, I would love this film. Oh, killer! Um, I want to see that movie. Just just I don't know how you create that. Just somebody CGI that in, or maybe you can get. I bet you know Macaulay Culkin does a lot of weird stuff now. He's in the the Pizza Underground where they just do Velvet Underground covers where they just talk about pizza. He's got his own podcast and everything. Get Macaulay Culkin to remake this movie with just 101 Macaulay Culkins. That's what I want. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, I saw that there's a <laughs> I saw that there's a, a petition now to remake Home Alone one shot for shot, except it's still Macaulay Culkin now as an adult playing himself as a kid. Love it. I would, <laughs> I'd see that film in a heartbeat. That's amazing. Uh, so here's here we are. We we just did um, Doctor Doolittle last week. We talked about all the animal cruelty on set. Um, do you? How do you feel about another movie with all these live action animals? Um, where I couldn't find any like direct stories of animal cruelty that went on. Apparently, they had a vet on set for every scene that uh, happened with the dogs. Um, they did have to paint. Uh, hot dog water on the people's faces that the dogs would like would lick their faces at the oh, right moments yeah sure that um, makes sense i i'm sure like eating a ton of hot dog water isn't like good for the dogs <laughs> um but i couldn't find any like direct actions of like animal cruelty that went on on this on in this set but yeah, um it but seems inevitable one... though that if you have a movie where there's just a triple digit amount of animals it just seems inevitable that the conditions can't be that good and so right. it took over 200 Dalmatians to film this movie of 101 Dalmatians right. uh, just to get all the scenes right and have all the dogs um, like properly like uh, active and ready to do whatever their scene is. It took over 200 Dalmatians. So you got to think about what was the process of acquiring 200 Dalmatians, yeah. um, most of them being puppies. So they probably were um, were uh, born just for this movie. So you probably have somebody who's like has like to uh, a bunch of Dalmatians that they're trying to breed and they're breeding and they just want to get like X amount of puppies so they can get paid for this movie. And then when the movie's over, what do you do with over 200 Dalmatians? A lot of them probably went to the pound. Some of them were probably put to sleep. <laughs> um, they're like just, firehouse you know, dogs, I, right? I, I doubt. What? They're like firehouse dogs, right? And I feel like they're firehouse dogs because they're exceptionally aggressive, I think, right? Like the idea, I think, is that originally they were used to kind of like corral the horses that the firehouse had. And now they just are uh, like a sort of mascot of, of I mean, firehouses. they're typically the dog that you would see like in media as being a firehouse dog, quote unquote, unquote. But I don't know if there's enough firehouses for Disney to just be like, and then we gave all these dogs nice homes and they all lived happily ever after. Oh, they no, would definitely Disney say that. With... They did. <laughs> Disney was stuck with... 
no, Disney probably wasn't even stuck with it. Whatever company that produced these dogs for Disney was then stuck with over 200 Dalmatians, and uh, Disney probably didn't give a shit what happened to them. They probably just moved on to their next film, their next project, while uh, somebody was left to, quote-unquote, care for these dogs. Yeah. So, um, the, the sort of, like, trend of movies with a, a shitload of animals in them is probably coming to a close if if there will ever be a movie like this ever made again like real animals not cgi because it just doesn't seem possible to have that many animals uh you know kind of in in a, a totally appropriate environment right like there there's just not a right. good way there's to have the them movie that um a dog story or whatever that came out last year and there's the behind the scenes footage of someone because there's a scene where the dog falls in a river so they had to like literally lift up this dog and toss it into this river that it didn't want to jump into because it's this turbulent raging right <laughs> like yeah. on set river that they created and the dog's like i don't want to go in there and so you have a you have video of someone like shoving the dog in and that all got all this controversy like there's no way for you to make a movie with actual animals doing all of these things uh in today's day and age and not stir up a bunch of controversy and it's probably um, well-deserved controversy. <laughs> you probably shouldn't be throwing that dog in that river, man. There's no reason for you to be doing that to that dog. So the question um, is, how much CGI will there be next year in 2021 in Cruella, starring Emma Stone, right? Right. So um, I believe when we recorded our episode a year ago, um, I said that there were stills out of them, but there was no news on the filming. So I wasn't even sure they started filming. Well, guess what? Not only had they started, but they'd basically finished. <laughs> I remember when that image came out of Emma Stone with the three uh, dogs, right? And we got Horace and Jasper behind her. Right. I, I think we, we ended the episode and I was like, I don't even think they're filming yet. And then two weeks later, the trailer dropped or something like that. <laughs> so so I, was, I was really accurate on that one. Um, Cruella was supposed to come out this past December, um, but because of COVID, it was delayed uh, until Disney finally gave in and decided to release it um, day and date on their, with a $30 premium price on their um, app. Which we've already said uh, how we feel about. The movie was made for a reported two hundred million dollars, um, which clearly went entirely to their soundtrack, uh, and it so far has made um, one hundred eighty-three million uh, it worldwide gross. Um, it was a little bit of an embarrassment uh, on its release, but uh, for Disney because it only made twenty-one million um, opening weekend. Um, it came out the same weekend as A Quiet Place 2, which made more than double that. So this is not a uh, yeah. a smash hit that um, that Disney was hoping. I would not have expected that A Quiet Place 2 would have killed it, but I didn't. I mean, you know, I didn't see A Quiet Place one. So, um, what did you think of Cruella? I actually uh, liked it more than I thought I was going to like it. I really thought it was going to suck ass. Like when I looked at the Rotten Tomato score and it was like a seventy, I was expecting like a you know at 14 or something i thought it was going to be horrible right uh i i didn't think it was that bad you know i thought a 70 i I, probably to be honest with you i think a 70 might be a little bit high (laughs) but but a solid 60 i think is right in there i know there were parts i was pleasantly surprised by this movie i had much more fun with this than i thought i was going to so this is the yeah, this you know, is of all of the Disney remakes that we've been getting these last couple of years. This is only like the second one in this style, right? Where you take yep. a famous villain and you do a whole thing where you're like, well, actually, maybe they're like a complex hero and <laughs> they're not really a villain at all. Um, That's right. With Angelina yeah, Jolie's Maleficent like, being the other one. 
um, that's like that. Yeah. Uh, and I hated that movie. Um, oh, I didn't see that one. It's uh, it's so it it seems like perfect casting to put uh, Angelina Jolie as Maleficent, but the entire movie is actually set up to be like a rape revenge fantasy, where oh. um, during the opening of the film. Maleficent makes um, friends with the future king, who is um, the the father of Sleeping Beauty, um, uh-huh. and he literally drugs her and then cuts off her wings in the middle of the night, and she awakens Ooh. to realize that her her wings, uh, you know, a metaphor for for innocence, um, have been right. removed from her um, by her friend who betrayed her, who she trusted, um, and then the whole movie from there is like a is is like a revenge plot to uh get back at the king for what he has done and so and but like but then throughout the movie she also like becomes like a surrogate mother for sleeping beauty and right. it's like uh is like the most protectful of her and it's just there the whole point of the movie is almost to be like no no, no she's a good guy and th- they kind of do that with this um but instead yeah, of so- going full she's a good guy it's almost like we've landed in like disney's harley quinn Right. Yeah, that's uh, something exactly, uh, you know, close to what I was, I was thinking, right? Like, so in the beginning, what I was thinking is that if you want to take somebody who's as heinous a villain as Cruella DeVille and turn them into a um, a sympathetic character, you have to do like a sort of Walter White type of situation, right? Where they have something really terrible happen to them. So you kind of are on their side, but then you see them slowly start to go over the deep end, Right. So in Breaking Bad, you kind of feel for this guy because he has cancer and he wants to provide for his family. But then you slowly see the American healthcare system is a nightmare. That's right. (laughs) And he slowly, slowly but surely starts to do stuff that you don't necessarily approve of. And then all of a sudden, it's just like he's flat out evil at the end. Right. Uh, And we don't really get to evil Cruella in this movie. But you do start to see in the beginning, you know, you really wanted to get back at the, um, the Baroness. So you're kind of on her side, and then near the end, you're like, hmm, she's starting to do some stuff that's a little bit, like, she's kind of a jerk for doing that, but she's not, like, kill a hundred dogs yet. I, I gotta say, the the worst aspects of this movie are everything that has to connect it to 101 Dalmatians, right? Yeah. If this was right. just its own property, I think this would be a smash hit. Yeah, it was... I think it's a mistake to make this a Cruella movie, and not just a, like... Uh, Emma Stone is 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 a fashion criminal movie. Yeah, so I I would agree. The stuff that makes it unique it uh is awesome. You know, the setting in like nineteen seventies like punk London, and all of like the the visuals and the costuming, uh, it's really great. It's just that when you realize you're like, oh, that's Anita, I get it. Oh, that's Roger, I right. get it. They, they have to do you the start... thing like like Solo did, where they literally, how does Cruella get her name? Oh, let me tell you. Where does how does Cruella get her crazy white and black hair? Is it because she simply dyed her hair white and black, being like of like the fashion world? No, no, no. It's because she was born with it as like a freak. Right, right, right. <laughs> they, it's kind of like we've talked about this before, right? Like in Star Wars, when they want to expand the universe, they hone in on the most minute details, and they have to give everything that happens in the movie like an extraordinary backstory. How did that guy's gun end up sitting diagonally right. on his waist? Is it because the actor had a weird prop? No, it's because that gun is from a crazy alternate universe. Like, right. <laughs> Everything has some has significance, and it's the same thing here. 
Um, they just have to like they have to keep stopping the plot to remind you that this is connected to 101 Dalmatians. Just be like, right. oh, um, like Jasper has that whole conversation. There's it's a whole scene where um, they talk about how people look like their dogs. And that's an exact conversation that Pongo has in 101 Dalmatians. So they're like, oh, how much uh, 101 Dalmatians bullshit can we just squeeze into this movie so that it actually yeah. seems connected? Um, and not only do they do parallels to the original, you know, 101 Dalmatians story, but they do like direct parallels to shots and stuff from right. like the 1996, like Glenn Close movie. Right. Like when, um, when you know she's she's not cruella by day she's estella by day so when estella comes to work for the baroness at her factory and the baroness is kind of up on that landing above the whole design floor it's just like when anita walks in and glenn close cruella is up on the you know the balcony above everybody and like the floor is the same it's like you know so i get that they're trying to make it seem like it's like a vicious circle of trauma i guess that produces people like this right like she becomes like Cruella goes from being like a sweet girl to being the Baroness type of person in the later movies. And so we're supposed to see the Walter White transformation. Um, but you know, it, it feels a little ham fisted. It, it feels like you can feel the, the, like the, the runners, the, the, the on railsness of it. Right. They even like have to come up with the uh, caveat here that, Cruella is not the kind of person who ever would actually skin a bunch of dogs, which is yes, kind of her whole right. thing. So we don't even right. end up with the Cruella who is the same as the one from the original story, um, even though they set up the original 101 Dalmatians here, like at, clearly as a sequel to this. Like there's, yeah. I, I yeah. couldn't see, like we, it's like, it's like along the way, someone was like, well, no one's going to really cheer for someone who would skin dogs. And like, all right, so she won't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so the, that was the thing, right? Is like, I, I was thinking, like, how are they going to get us on her side to not like Dalmatians or whatever? And they have to come up with the hilariously evil thing that Dalmatians killed her mom. Right. I was like, oh, my God. Like, you, you know, of course, that's how they have to make it. <laughs> but that's the stuff that's the stuff that makes it dumb. It's 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 the middle of the movie where we we are out of that stupid intro where we're, we're trying to connect um, this this. Uh, Estella character as much to Cruella as possible, right? We're trying, we're not, we, we, the whole beginning is setting up, yeah, she's a freak child, she's got stupid hair, um, she, she has this alternate persona called Cruella, even though her name is Estella, um, that she, uh, can or cannot control being in an, is it like, is it like multiple personalities uh, disorder? Is that what we're dealing with here? Or is it just like, yeah, when she's like a bitch? Her mom calls her Cruella. <laughs> I know. It, it kind of dances in and out of those two things. Not with the most grace. You know? <laughs> no, it's not very clear. But as soon as we get to the part where um, she's hired um, by the Baroness, right? It almost becomes a different movie um, where it's now about her being this, uh, this the working under this, this ju- uh, terrible tyrant, right? Who like yeah. is just so awful and then also probably killed her mom and so she decides to um get back at her the worst way possible if you're the baroness by stealing her stealing the spotlight right stealing your thunder right um, right and, and all of that those stuff parts of the awesome. movie like exactly those parts of the movies were fucking sick yeah. every time she would show up and upstage her in increasingly more and more ostentatious ways 
I was really into it. I, I actually watched that on the treadmill today, and I was like, this is fucking sweet. I loved like the Bonnie and Clyde-esque uh, dynamic yes. of the group that they yep. were they were these like robbers um who were going on these crazy heist jobs and they they had their own dogs that would take part in the in the heists that was so cool um yeah it's and it's funny it's like an ocean's 11 type of vibe right uh it's like a like a 70s like punk london ocean's 11 and that, all that stuff yes. is so sick perfect um perfect I, description and then you throw in like the uh like the devil wears prada-esque elements of like working in the fashion world um for for the height I don't, I don't even, I don't know what you'd call him the highest uh dressmaker in the land <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever sure. the baroness is uh and just how um how awful that can be if you're somebody who actually wants to uh make their way in this in this industry um and uh their the rivalry between the two of them is just so awesome where there's the the scene with the dress and it's actually all the pupids and the butterflies and the moths or whatever like hatch and like eat all the other dresses is like such an awesome moment for the film and then we have to go back to the dumb cruella stuff because this is a uh, 101 dalmatians movie and list we forget it <laughs> yeah yeah they definitely you know I, I think that they soften the edges a little bit it feels almost like somebody made this movie and then they they sanded it down just a little bit right like so um one of the things that stand, stood out to me in that regard is the soundtrack, right? The soundtrack for this movie is pretty cool, except for the fact that it's a lot of not very punk bands. Like, they have some, like, they have The Clash for a little while, right? Right. But there's no, like, the Sex Pistols. There's no, like, like there are feminist punk bands from England in the 70s. Like, X-Ray Specs comes to mind. And they could have had those bands, but instead they have Queen and they have The Doors, right. which is fine. They have, they have popular music. From that would be be more appealing to the uh, the general audience. Yeah, um, so it's just a little sanded down, which I mean you could expect for a Disney movie, right? Uh, some other uh, something else about the film score that I thought was really interesting is if you go back and watch the scene where um, where the Baroness kills Cruella's mom, uh, you can hear that there's a dog whistle blended into the score. So they actually like, oh, okay, added cool. that sound like to the original scene to give you the like that. Uh, inclination before the the scene where you actually see her with the dog whistle so that was a cool fact i found one of the one of the things that um i thought was a little bit strange about it right is that um i mean this is skipping right to the end so spoiler alert you know um at the end she gives dalmatians to roger and anita right and with they already are named pongo and perdita right and so they don't bring back of... they don't bring back Lady Pongo. <laughs> um, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to laugh at that because it's as though we just said it. <laughs> that kind of unfairly rewrites the Pongo and Purdy origin. Right. It also makes them related, which is kind of weird. Oh yeah, wait a second. <laughs> it makes them what? brother and sister. Uh, Hang on. The, at the end there, um, the one of either Horace or Jasper, I can't remember which one, but they comment that one of the. Um, one of the Dalmatians is looking fat and it's cause it's uh. pregnant. <laughs> and then that's supposed go. to be where those puppies come from. Dun, in dun, that dun. Scene. But that means that Pongo and Perdita are brother and sister and they're going to have 101 Dalmatians together. So 101 incestual Dalmatians. <laughs> I hope they add that to the title. Uh, what did you think? I thought all the actors here did a uh, stellar job. 
Uh, for me, especially Horace and Jasper, man, they were great. Like the scene where um, he, I, I, I guess, I think it's Horace is the fatter one. Yeah. When he's going into the party and he's like, um, uh, um, shit, what do they call it? He's an, an exterminator in the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was super funny. I thought they did a great, the, you know, the um, the scene where uh, Estella goes into um, work and she passes out drunk and she wakes up the next day and the snooty boss is like upset with her, you know. Right. Oh, it, you know, it, it was great. Every Everybody did a great job. I thought everyone here, this, they really gave Emma Stone a lot to play with. And she's proven that uh, in the last couple of years, especially, that when you give her these really um, unique roles where she gets to just chew the scenery and completely overact, she really does a good job of hamming it up in, in, without making her character too over the top. Um, it's, it's like still in a believable way for the character. Um, right. If that makes any sense. <laughs> but, and, uh, Paul Walter Hauser, who played Horace, um, just he's he's become such an awesome actor these last couple of years. Um, what was the he's in the the Olympics movie with um, the figure skater? What's it? What was that one? Uh, I don't know. And Margot Robbie, and she's and she's in it, and it's a Margot Robbie movie about uh, about a famous <laughs> athlete of which I should totally know the name, and I I do know the name, and I just I'm not going to tell you the name, but I know it. Right and um, fair enough. He was and he was great in that movie. <laughs> Emma, Emma Stone um, is you're right, really evolving into like a top tier, compelling, interesting character actress. Like that that show that she was in um, with Jonah Hill, uh, Maniac. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, same thing, right? She just gets to act so over the top and interesting. Right. Um, she does like a lot of cool stuff. I could see her doing some movie soon in the near future where she gets, like, Best Actress nom because she has some really incredible role. It is like, you could very see strange, though, when she makes the switch over from Estella to Cruella, that when she goes back home, she's like, no, I'm I'm a new person now. I'm a different person than I was when I was home here this, this morning. Like, yeah, so I, I'm, I thought I'm that going was, to treat I, you— again best friends of my uh, for my the entire life jasper and horace i'm going to treat you differently than i would normally and i will never go back to treating you that way <laughs> because i'm just yeah a, a terrible person now or whatever so right so if they were trying to say something about um like a multiple personality disorder it, it wasn't delicate no you know what i mean so it, it, I wish that they had not delved into that if they weren't going to treat it with care. You know, it seems almost like if it's a that was even what something. they were going for, because I, it's not right. clear to me that that's even what they. It could have just been that Estella was like, "No, when I act like a bitch, I get things done, so I'm going to be do that from now on." Fuck yes, you guys, right? Like I don't that, know. That would have been that would have been a, it, for me a better sort of like. I mean, it wasn't clear if that's take. what they were doing or not. I that's my my problem is just be clear about yeah. it. Let me know what's going on. Yes, I'm watching the movie. Tell me tell me what's happening. <laughs> yeah, if she's if she was like very nice and meek and kind, and then she realizes that in order to rise in the world, she's like, oh, you got to be a shark amongst other sharks. That's how it has to be, right? You know, I could see that, right? But um, you know, who knows what they're doing? Uh, Joel Fry, who played Jasper, was a great counterbalance to uh, Emma Stone because he had he was he was the straight guy of the group, right? He was the yep, and he also played less in the original cartoon. Jasper and Horace are just just morons. Like that's their entire characterization. These two 
right. dickhead morons. So it was nice to see them flesh uh, them out, so they for were, sure. They were much more fleshed out, but I like that he was almost the brains of the group as well. Like, you it you added a smart one in there. Like, like uh, a lot of the original plans, you have Chorus can be an idiot, but he's the guy who will put on, like, the... the um, the uh, the exterminator suit and go and like right. act like an idiot, right? Um, yep. You have the guy who's be- pulling, who's behind the scenes, connecting all the wiring and the um, checking the monitors or whatever um, to make sure the jobs pull together. Um, I liked that they changed up the dynamic a little bit, so it wasn't just Emma Stone screaming at two bumbling idiots for the whole movie. Yeah, two dopes. Um, yeah, two indistinguishable dopes, except one of them is fat. And then we have an upgrade to uh, to Anita and Roger. Um, in the original movie, we we made a lot of comments about how they lived in this very nice apartment in the middle of London, <laughs> and, <they're both laughs> and seemingly like neither of them artists. were employed. Yeah, right. <laughs> Roger was was kind of a musician, sort of, but it's implied that he's never sold a song. So where is the yeah. rent coming from for right <laughs> to to pay their living nanny? <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I could see in this movie that they're kind of like financially independent former professionals. Like they they worked for 15 years in a demanding corporate workplace, saved up all their money, and now they're sick of it. And right. now they're both starving artists so you, or something. So you, Anita's now, um, now she's a journalist working for some big fancy newspaper uh, from the time. And Roger is a lawyer um, who uh, works for the Baroness for most of the movie. So right. both of them um, have like actual jobs now. Uh, that could be used in any future uh, versions of the series. Though it does seem, um, after being fired by the Baroness, that Roger has decided to become a musician. Um, right. So He's had enough of that corporate life. Right. <laughs> so one of the things that struck me as I'm watching this movie, and I couldn't help but think, like, does every villain need the, like, wicked, capital W, like, wicked treatment? You know, do we need to give an understandable origin story to every evil villain you know because it seems like it worked here like i like this movie i don't know like you said if maleficent worked but i don't know if i need to see like a jafar movie you know what i mean like i don't know if i if i want to see like jafar was just a regular kid who grew up in the middle east and he had a traumatized background so now he becomes a master manipulator as an adult right you know like it feels like some bad guys just you should just let them be shitheads and that's it they don't need to be (laughs) sympathetic right i think there's multiple levels to this right um i think you have these characters like maleficent and cruella who are just clearly the most interesting characters in their movie right right um if you remade a live action sleeping beauty would that have the same interest that a uh a live action maleficent uh, movie would have I don't know right. it seems like uh, yeah, that I get what you're saying. It, people would be might be more interested in seeing the the story of that character specifically than the rest of it even if the movie didn't pay off in in the ways that uh, some audience members like myself thought it would um, right. and then here you have a very similar case right you could remake 101 Dalmatians um, and they and they did that in the 90s we talked about it with Glenn Close and it was the most 90s movie of all time <laughs> but uh, yeah. they, but like what, if you're going to do it again in live action, only this time use few to no dogs, uh, what are you really making a movie about? Where are your, is there anywhere else to bring these human characters? 
And I right. think you have this notable IP in Cruella de Vil, right? Where you have the um, the basis to create something really interesting, like they did here. You Disney has um, essentially taken Cruella de Vil and made her into another Jack Sparrow type character, where she's yeah. It's funny. I have Jack Sparrow in my notes, like a daring antihero, <laughs> like, um, yeah, within her own interesting world, right? Of like fashion crime or whatever. Uh-huh. But at the same time, like, would they make this movie if they didn't have the IP to prop it up? I don't know. I wish that we lived in a world where they would, where if this right. if this script came to Disney and it was just called Estella, or it was just called uh, uh, Fashion Crime, uh, yeah, Emma yeah. Watson, Emma, or Emma Stone Fashion Crime, um, <laughs> I, I, I hope that they would make Emma Stone Fashion Crime because uh, I would really I'd really like it, but um, I don't I don't know, and it's I, it's with all the other this this is a question I was going to pose to you. Um, do you like the Disney remakes like this, or do you like the ones where it's just like The Lion King, where it's a straight adaptation of the original, and they're basically just scene for scene recreating it? Because I'm, I'm no, almost... I think, I think this is definitely better. Yeah, I'm almost inclined to say that I would prefer seeing at least new versions of the thing, right, than just watching yeah. scene for scene re- recreations. But also, right. like... The, the old movies, we, we always have the old movies. We can go back and watch them. You know, right. so at least this is an expansion I pay for a, of the a characters. subscription service that allows me to watch it whenever I want. I can watch it on my phone at work <laughs> for, with premium content. Not that I would, though. I would never do that, coworkers. If you listen, that please don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell yeah, anyone where I, I work. Um, the reason I asked originally is because there's a, a pretty popular Dungeons and Dragons podcast that. Uh, you know, I know this is not a, that. That sounds like an extremely niche sentence. Uh, there's a pretty popular Dungeons and Dragons podcast that just got through uh, an extremely unsuccessful season after previous seasons had you know millions uh, of listenership. Uh, and one of the biggest complaints from the recent season that took a total nosedive in popularity, threatening the entire brand, uh, was that the person who was running the game would not let the bad guys stay bad. <laughs> Every few episodes, they would give like a like a relatable, sympathetic backstory to the bad guy <laughs> who you're hoping that the main characters kill, and you're just like screaming through the fucking car speakers. You're just like, let us hate these motherfuckers. Like we want to see them kill them. That's pretty awesome for idea for a D and D game, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> just just give your your players just moral uh, things to grab. Moral with. angst. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I it's. Uh, it's interesting because I I like I like that I got I like I, overall I liked this movie right I'd give um, Trilla maybe not two thumbs up but at least one thumb up right at least one yeah, half hearted I might go I might go as far up. as one and a half thumbs up one and a half thumbs up uh, that that half got, st- <laughs> got stuck in a meat grinder um, that's right <laughs> but, but, uh, but like I at the same time like it's so draw dragged down by just having to be a remake that i just want just do something new i'm I, we've said this we said this last time we recorded this i i asked you what else you would like to see remade and i went on a whole diatribe that uh i won't i won't just do it again but like there are there are bad disney movies that no one has nostalgia for and those are the ones that you just remake right there, just right. take take the one that didn't go right and and make it again so that, and fix all the problems with it. Take Treasure Planet, but don't make it weird uh, 
1800 ships in space because that's weird <laughs> fix that if you would have just changed that it would the whole thing would have been better um make, remake uh the great mouse detective um or like just yes. any of the ones where like where Please you were like that. so close to um to doing it correctly atlantis would be an awesome action adventure movie um for them except to do. people will realize that uh james cameron just ripped it off to make avatar right uh <laughs> but well that's that's the problem though is that they're Nobody has nostalgia for that IP, so they don't bother with it. They take this other IP and just will change everything about it. Because, like we said, uh, Corella in this would never even dream of skinning a dog, which is her entire characterization. It's the whole thing we're building to is when she tries to kidnap all those dogs to skin. So so I wonder, you've been on Disney Cruises. Have you seen Villains, the, the theater show? No. So on Disney Cruises, you know, they do like, um, they do like, special edition theater shows just for the cruise line right and they have one called villains which is all about the villains scar and jafar and cruella and maleficent and a couple of the others okay um and and so i wonder if movies that are centered around disney villains are disney's way of being able to make kind of like badass movies like this one but they they can't have a hero of a Disney movie be badass. But maybe they could have a villain be like a badass anti-hero. So I wonder if this is like a vehicle through which we can get slightly more risque Disney content. Uh I mean it clearly is right. It's this and yeah. Maleficent. I think are the two that are PG thirteen out of all the Disney remakes, which have all been G or right. G to PG. Um, yeah. So that 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 clearly is what we're getting. Um, but I, I still, I'm sticking to the theory that it's just the, that's the only character people care or l- like or care about from that movie, right? Uh, even this one, yeah. like Glenn Close was a uh, was a producer of this film, and I don't know if this would have got made if like Glenn Close didn't do an awesome job in, in the '90s portraying this character, and that's what people remember. Um, it's you don't like, want to see an, an independent Wizard movie? Was it Wizard? Yeah, the P, the P dog. Wizard was the P dog. Yes. From, from <laughs> Like we just talked about forty five minutes ago. Yes, we just, just now. we just talked about it. We just I just said that to you, um, and <laughs> uh, I I I don't no I don't think anybody's really interested in that. I don't think anybody. I mean, it's it, if you were to remake that movie, you'd have to do it completely CGI now, right? So it would be an hour to and a half to two hours of watching CGI dogs walk on the screen with no dialogue or little to no right. dialogue, right? Um, so I don't, it's the, it, I don't know, I don't know what the appeal is there. I don't know who who that movie's for. Maybe we'll get it. It would be cool. I, I'd love to see them do another. Like we talked, we just talked about uh, like a half hour ago during this recording, uh, how how interesting <laughs> and cool it was um, to uh, how artsy the original movie was um, that it took on this like whole war uh, war movie aesthetic, right? Of trying to, right. of being behind enemy lines and having to get back to um, to safe safer grounds, um, and that's it would be really cool and interesting to see Disney take a, a artistic um, uh, retooling of that for the modern age and to do it how um, how well I don't know and, and do it how uh, artistic movie today would be done. Um, sure. 
that was not the best way to say that. But anyway, um, it would be cool to, to see that. But I don't know how artistic Disney would allow any filmmaker today to get with that property, right? It's got to be yeah. a four-quadrant uh, billion-dollar movie or else it's a complete failure. So Right. It's um, interesting that, you know, as Disney becomes more successful, they actually have to probably become a little bit more conservative with how, like, precious their properties are, right? Like, the less risks they can take with, you know, with having to give respect or, or honor their existing properties. Right. Um, so you might be onto something there where this is because this is a villain film. They're like, well, of course we can get kind of more risque and we can have her do more evil stuff and she can get drunk and whatever because this is the this, she's a bad guy. She's supposed to be a bad guy. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I wonder, is this the is this the first time a character has gotten drunk in a Disney movie? No. No, definitely Wait, not. Dumbo gets no. drunk. There's a whole scene about it. I was going to say, I was going to say in, in um, Pinocchio, doesn't he go to like the drunk island? Well, yeah, but then everybody who gets drunk becomes a jackass, a literal donkey. Uh, that is, <laughs> that's the, the moral of the story in Pinocchio. Um, in, yeah. in Dumbo, they just get, he just gets drunk and has a bunch of hallucinations that look super dope. <laughs> is this the first Disney movie where a character gets drunk and it's totally dope and awesome things happen because of it? <laughs> <laughs> no, Dumbo did it. Uh, it's, it's the first. It's the first Disney movie where uh, where a char- the main character gets drunk at work. Probably. <laughs> right there, you go. Man, so, we're pushing boundaries here. Uh, so that's that's my opinion on Cruella. Um, I thought it was oh, yeah. all right. I thought it was I thought it was better than expected. Uh, I'm giving it one thumb up. Dave's giving it one and a half thumbs up. Uh, I would like in the future to see these Disney movies. Um, redo movies that weren't good already so that i can get something new out of it but also yeah let's get let's get a sword in the stone remake yeah that would be sick um i think they announced a sequel to this but there has been no uh movement made on that so far we're supposed to get well, you know if you say to, that that means that they're going to drop a trailer next i know week. the trailer will come out next week um but we're also supposed to get tra- uh sequels to aladdin um and uh Beauty and the Beast, maybe? I know they announced all the writers for Aladdin 2, um, but there's been no news on that either. So also expect that trailer to drop. Um, it says that they've actually um, released like storyboards from the Cruella sequel, which is tentatively titled 2 Ella with the number 2. No, it's not. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I just made that. <laughs> I believed it. Oh, my God. That's, it's, it's so awful it would have to be 2. Uh, 2 Ella. <laughs> just... <laughs> From the makers of Banjo Tooie oh and God. Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, fan- remember when they took Fantastic Four, but they put the four in the middle of the. They replaced the A in Fantastic oh. with the four. Uh, it's, oh. it's marketers, please. <laughs> so that, but that's. I think that's the end of the uh, the 101 Dalmatians universe, at least for now. Um, would you? Yeah. Be, would you be excited to see a sequel to this? Whether it be another uh, Cruella caper or it um be just a straight up remake of 101 dalmatians well certainly it seems like they're gonna the baroness had a i'll be back i'll get you for this moment right, she's right? not dead so, right she wasn't pushed off a cliff she's just she's no. to jail yep so she'll she'll break out of jail like the joker style and and be ready to kick back against cruella um and what'll be even more exciting about doing delving back into the 101 dem <laughs> 
what will be even more exciting about delving back into the 101 Dalmatians universe is that we'll be able to take this podcast and zoom out further and append <laughs> this to the beginning of another show. Oh, man, we're going to have this exact same conversation again, but have to do this part? Right, oh, right. Oh, geez. Okay, well, look forward to that, everybody. <laughs> Our opinions on Cruella. Um, thank As you always, for, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Um, tune in next time when we uh, do something for the release of Black Widow. I think we're going to get into Nick Fury and watch that um, David Hasselhoff Nick Fury movie. So stick around Hell for yeah. that. Uh, please check us out on Instagram at Nothing New Under the Sun. Um, our Patreon at Nothing New Under the Sun is where you can find all our great content that we make exclusively for um the patreon we have the rodan episode that will be dropping later we ha- already have our other episode up about um the turning if you want to go hear us deal with the torture that we were put through to have to watch that movie um we put up polls and um different forms of engagement and we we try to keep a schedule up um that will be of our future episodes but um unfortunately that changes every single day so <laughs> <laughs> Especially with Dune pushed back to October. I was just so. going to say Dune has yet again been pushed back. <laughs> We're never Dune's never coming out. It's a it's a myth. I don't think they made a movie. I think they made a trailer, and they're just like, and we'll just we'll just uh, keep promising it, and we'll just push it back. Episode one thousand will be Dune. Right. Eventually, we'll we'll get to a Dune movie of some kind. Um, but thank you for listening. Um, and as always, tune in tune in next time for for more more nothing. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.